Welcome to the Voices of Women Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tatiana Resnik, a practicing physician and a certified life coach. You will hear about inspirational journeys and practical tips from amazing women physician experts, as well as effective coaching tools and steps to joyful success. Welcome everyone to this episode and today we have a second part of our interview with amazing Dr. Amy Vertis. Welcome! Thank you, Dr. Resnick. So great to be here. Thank you so much. Such an honor. Thank you so much for coming here. And if you can just briefly reintroduce yourself for those listeners who didn't have the chance to listen to previous episode. And I would like to encourage all our listeners to listen to last week's episode for a lot of very, very helpful advice. I'm a general surgeon and a certified coach as well. I started the Boss Business of Surgery series podcast. I started my own private practice and I wrote a book earlier this year called Become the Boss MD Success Beyond Residency, where I compiled a lot of my lessons that I learned both in the army. I was in the army for 17 years and in an employed practice and private practice. And so I tried to compile all these lessons in that book. And my podcast includes amazing people like yourself, basically crowdsourcing all the things that we need to know. The whole purpose of the Boss Business of Surgery series, which is really for all physicians, is learning lessons not taught in residency. Because we were brought up to be skilled physicians in whatever specialty we chose, but there's so much to medicine that we just couldn't fit in residency. And it's things that we have to learn as we go along. So I really wanted to try to bridge the gap with that book. And I hope it stimulates a lot of discussion. And the same is true for the podcast as we try to solve these really challenging problems that we have in medicine. And this is an amazing book. I personally really loved it. I could not stop reading it. And now let's talk about lessons not taught to us in residency. And last week we spoke about dealing with complications, which is a very important area. And now let's talk about dealing with difficult partner or difficult colleagues or difficult boss. How do you deal with difficult people around us and still remain productive and happy in your job environment? This is such an amazing topic because we all have those people, you know, like those people where some people don't have any problem with like one particular person, but we may have a problem with them. There's something about that person that sets us off. So I think this is one of those where we have to do a lot of self-reflection. And if we take a different perspective on a difficult partner or colleague, really embracing this, because if someone sets you off, you are about to encounter the strongest lesson in your self that you're about to figure out. Because if you have someone who sets you off, there is something within you that you have the opportunity to really learn something about yourself. You have the opportunity to really understand a, I wouldn't say a flaw in us. We have something in us that we really have to dig in and understand because this particular person, if we navigate this in a really powerful way, can set us free and make us more happy in our life. Because dealing with other people that set us off, there's usually a thought that's running in our head about that person, they set off something in us. For example, if you have someone, let's say an administrator, an administrator says, I see that your clinic schedule, you don't have as many people today. So that statement, we don't hear that statement, just so you know, I made it as bland as possible. Because the very first thing that we do is if we have a relationship with that person, we've already created this internal dialogue about that person. So before they even come along, we're like, oh, there's Joe again, he's going to come complain about clinic. 
Joe's going to have some more rules for me. And he disrespects me. And we just have this huge narratives, which are usually highly amusing if we think about them. So before he offers us words, we already have an impression about what's going to happen. And when we have an impression about what's going to happen, all he simply has to do is enter into the picture. And he has triggered all of these things that we've thought about before. So we bring these things to the table. We bring a lot of our own, I shouldn't say baggage, it sounds negative, but there's a lot of thoughts that we have about it. And then he says words and we add layers to it based on those things. So all those things that I was adding were these layers that are based on thoughts that he's not actually saying. And this can be an incredibly frustrating interaction because then we like showing Joe attitude and he's like, what I do? I was just make a conversation. I didn't have anything to talk about except for the clinic patients. So there's a lot to that. And so then he starts creating an idea about us like, oh, those doctors, they're such jerks. Every time I go there, they're so mean to me and they're so entitled. And so what happens is, is you have four people in that interaction. We have us mind reading them, then what we say, we have what they say, and then them mind reading at us. So it's actually a very complicated interaction that's going on. So first is just simply understanding that in the first place. So if someone objectively root, how do you approach it in a positive way? Yes. Well, first is to start dealing with the facts. So the first thing you want to do is to dial down your autonomic response. So a lot of us, when you think about like how the brain works, we have this immediate response. And the one thing that we don't realize is that we're already having a reaction to this person before they even open their mouth. And it's usually triggered by their presence, a thought of them, things like that. So what I typically recommend is the idea of visualization. We've all seen this when you stand in front of people and talk, imagine them naked. What you're doing is you're creating this visual of a non-threatening situation. So you're essentially telling your brain is like, I know you're going to want to freak out, but we're not going to freak out right now because it's safe. So you can start with imagining someone. So you're creating this vision ahead of time. And it's important to do so because a lot of times our triggers happen before we're even conscious about it. So when you have someone that you know sets you off and you'll know that they set you off because if anyone else could say the exact same thing and you don't have a response to them, this is a person who's setting you off. So if you imagine a picture of them. And I've given some descriptions. I had a particular subspecialist come and yell at me one day. And I just remember looking at him and I pictured his adult head on a little toddler body throwing a fit. I love this one. <laughs> yes. It's hilarious because if you can get yourself to a position of amusement, and this is really what you want to do, is you want to trigger in your mind amusement. And for me, being a visual person, that helps the most. So when this person is doing this, what happens is that I don't add any layers to it. All of a sudden, I'm like, this person is not a threat to me. This person is like this little adult toddler. This is fascinating. And so what happens is that I start to calm down. And this is where influence happens. We love for people to do things things that we want. But really what you want to do is have the ability to influence. It's the only really power we have. So if I'm able to keep myself calm in that moment, I'm not adding anything to this interaction. So now I can kind of drop into amusement and now I can interact. And the interesting thing is that it's easier for those messages to filter to the smart part of our brain. So now I can answer questions and not get a rise out of it. So if I am calm and I am present, then I'm sending a message to them too, who's also responding to us of saying, I guess I don't need to be riled up. She doesn't seem to be riled up. So maybe all is okay. And we have the ability to influence that other person 
person and they don't have to change a bit because people don't change. We say, you should be more respectful to me and you shouldn't say these words. That's not actually helpful. That just riles people up more. But I'll go to HR and have a third party do it. So now instead of four people in the conversation, we'll have six. (laughs) So I think the ability to regulate our own emotions in innovative ways that are not hard are simple ways to do that. And if it's a person that maybe don't interact with and you don't have a vision ready is really just trying to channel an emotion. And I find humor is always helpful. And if you find yourself angry, usually the closest I can get to humor is fascinated. And so I look at them, I imagine a glass up. So I'm immediately sending a message that I'm safe. And now I'm looking at them like they're this fascinating zoo animal. So all of these tricks, because there's just something powerful about humor, there's something powerful about curiosity. So if you can get to amusement, fascination, or curiosity, you already have mostly won any interaction that you've had because you don't add anything else. You don't fuel any fire. You have the safety that you've built in for yourself. So that is a very easy tip that is accessible to any interaction that you have is to recognize what we contribute to it. And so that is the first step when it comes to interaction. Action, I think is the most helpful. It's actually really awesome. In fact, I do something similar. I imagine little rabbit or little squirrel. Someone described their boss as a ferret running around the walls. I was like, that's hilarious. Cute little mouse. Exactly. It works though, right? It sounds completely ridiculous, but if you try it, it really does work. It does work. It actually works, yes. It takes power away from this person immediately. The next step, now that you've dialed yourself down, is to create a pause. So if you don't trust yourself in that interaction quite yet, you don't actually have to do anything yet. You want to create that pause. Viktor Frankl talked about how much of a power is between the stimulus and the response. That's where all of our power is. And in that moment, you can give yourself some space. We don't actually have to be in a hurry. You want to slow it down. So if someone says something, you can give yourself a little bit of space and saying, can you repeat that? I may not have understood. Can you tell me again? So creating a pause lets you catch up because if you're feeling unsafe, you just want to give yourself a little bit of time to get into a position to where your smart part of your brain is thinking. And by creating a space, it's very simple with these neutral statements. So having some available are very helpful. And especially if you ask them a question, if you ask them a question, it takes the spotlight that is currently on you and it puts that spotlight on them. And you want to do that in a supportive way so they don't become threatened either. So what you want to do is really cultivate this safety in the interaction so you both have access to creating a much more calm environment than a threatening one. Yes, it is awesome. I love all of this. And now let's talk about getting paid because it is such an important area. And when we graduate residency, you usually know a little about this. I think it's really helpful to start as simple as possible. So it's simple if you think about any other industry, like the things that we deal with all the time. Like if I have a plumber come to my house because my sink is leaking, I call the plumber, the plumber comes, except in our case, the patient comes to our office. The plumber comes, they diagnose what's going on and they write it on the invoice. In our particular case, that's the ICD-10 code. We create a code that everyone can agree, this is the code. And then they'll say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to fix your pipes. And this is the procedure I'm going to do. Here is my CPT code. And so everyone is on the same page. This is a diagnosis. This is a CPT code. And they should match. Like the diagnosis of the leak of the sink should fix the patch of the sink. It should not be at the patch of the bathtub. (laughs) (laughs) So it's simply ICD-10s and CPT codes are the way we talk to each other. And then what happens? 
happens is, okay, well, now I've diagnosed your problem and I fix your problem. I would like for you to give me money. And we have agreed on this amount of money based on contracts that we've had. And the contracts are determined by us contracting with insurance companies. And a lot of people don't know that because if you're employed, you are getting those contracts signed for you on your behalf by your employer. So there's a contract that we sign with the insurance company that gives us a list. Here are the list of the problems that you can solve. Here are the list of the things that we are going to pay you for. And that contract is signed. So we have to collect co-pays because our contract says so. We can only do procedures based on ICD-10 codes and CPT codes that we've agreed on. And then they pay us based on whatever contract is in there. And how we do that is that those codes are gone to a coder who's like, I need to make sure that you have documented what you did. How did you know that there was a leaking sink? And I need for you to give me your notes about how you fix the sink. And then I want you to put this information and I put it in this billing software, which then spits out these things. It has to be as specific as possible because you have to know if it's the bathroom sink or if it's a kitchen sink, things like that. So if you think about it from that perspective, as simple as possible, that's really what it is. It is simply codes that tell what we do. And then we have a contract with the insurance company and the patient has a different contract with the insurance company. So the insurance company tells the patient, okay, if you have this problem, we will pay for this, but we will not pay for these other problems. So it's important to notice how much is going on in there. And there's so much variety too, but I think when you have the very simple formula for what's going on, then when new things come up, like what is a modifier? Well, let's say you only fix part of the sink, or maybe it's a really fancy sink. Like these modifiers allow us to charge what is the work that we do. And most of the coders are not trying to be a pain. If you look at their coding books that they study by, they're not allowed to give us hints of things because there is just a general suspicion in the medical field that we as doctors are just trying to get money out of stuff. That's why we're overregulated. So they're limited by what they could do based on what they're trained for. So if they give us hints, it could be perceived that we are trying to create insurance fraud. So they are not allowed to ask. So you may get those coding queries that are vague and things like that. And they're not trying to be difficult. They really want to help you. So the problem is that suspicion is everywhere. We're now mind reading saying, well, that's just someone justifying their job. And of course, we have our own narratives about that. So my advice to everyone is always try to boil it down to the simplest of facts. And then if we can get to the basis, the simplest fact, then we start from the facts and then we could decide what the layers are rather than start from the layers because we won't see some of the big picture items. So when it comes to getting paid, understanding that is helpful. The other aspect, which is very complicated, is this idea of RVUs. That's a relative value unit. And there's several different aspects of that. So basically insurance company says, okay, there's this problem. I'm going to give this pot of money here. And so this goes to the facility. That's the facility relative value unit because each different part of the country is going to be paid differently. So, okay, this goes to the facility and this goes to the doctor. That's the work one because we do the work. And then there's other aspects of it too. So when we get this pot of something because we've done it, it gets peeled off in different areas. And there's a part that we have been contracted to get that is typically created initially by the government. And then the independent payers decide what to do after that. So that is the basic, as easy as possible as I can make that. It was wonderful. Thank you so much. And what three tips would you recommend to women physicians being successful in the male-dominated field? You've been in military, you are general surgeon, you're working in both of those areas in the male-dominated field, and you're very successful. So it prepared you to be an expert in actually answering this question. What would you recommend? What helps? 
I think two very big things that I would recommend. One is the gender bias is real. No one questions that, but make sure that is the actual issue because I find that a lot of people say it's gender bias, but that is so generalized that it's almost a detractor in some aspects. And so if you're going to the idea of gender bias, being more specific about that. So if we have bad interaction with someone like, oh, they don't like this because I'm a woman. So now we're going at it from the gender perspective, but we're missing the point of the fact that they just didn't understand what we were asking for, or there was a point of clarification that we could have offered. So if we go to a big picture and miss the simple things, then we're going to be less successful. It's kind of like two people interaction and getting HR involved. I mean, sometimes you have to, but if you go to HR for everything, you're sort of missing the point. You're missing some of these simple, easy wins. You want to make sure that you understand who you are and you can convey that well, because if you were able to do this on an individual scale, you can change people's mind about gender. So that's the one aspect is don't get detracted by that. It's real. I'm not trying to argue against it. I'm just saying a majority of our interactions are not related to that. We blame it on that and it detracts us from the regular issue. And the second is we stand out. And Connie Mariano came to talk to us as a fourth year medical student. She's an admiral, retired from the Navy. She was President Clinton's physician. So she came to talk to us and she had the best advice that I still to this day think about. And she said, if you're going to stand out, be outstanding. So I think a lot of the times as a woman, we think less than because that is what society tends to offer us. But if you think I stand out, if you think as a woman physician that half of the patient population is women, they want someone who looks like us, potentially, things like that. So standing out is important. So if you're going to stand out, then be outstanding. You be more of yourself. So it's also very similar to the other point that I was trying to make is when we go internally and we know who we are and we learn our strengths and we learn our weaknesses, and we learn how to work in a way that makes us uniquely ours and we tap into that authenticity of who we are, now we can interact with people who we genuinely are. They know what they're getting and they could take it or leave it. And when we have that certainty about ourselves, of like, I know exactly who I am. This is who you're getting. This is the best version of me talking to the best version of you. If that's not good enough, this feels like your problem. (laughs) I love it. That certainty is another way of creating safety in the interaction. I am not coming at you like you should think that I'm something different. I'm not coming at you like I'm a threat to you. I'm coming at you with who I am and I am perfectly fine with who I am. And that level of confidence and security and safety and certainty allows me to interact as who I am. So it was just much easier. It is awesome. And you some girls. I think that the way that we can succeed in life is to understand who we are and be more of ourselves. When we try to be other people or we try to be what we think someone else wants, then we become less of who we are. So I think that there is a role for all of us to be unique and different and special. And we do not have to conform to anybody else's version of what we should be. And when it's easier for us, it's easier for them. And that may create circles where we don't fit in anymore. And it's okay. You're not meant to be there. So I think that's rejecting the natural instinct we have to be avoiding isolation. So we try to get in circles we're not meant to be. So I think the ability to find your place in the world is really where our power is. It is beautiful. I love it. And if you could tell us a little bit again about how to connect with you and about what you do, just briefly in case if any of listeners of this episode didn't have a chance to listen to the first part. 
the easiest way to get a hold of me is just bosssurgery.com. So that has a link to the book and it has a link to the podcast and has a link to my coaching. They also have links to Facebook and Instagram. I'm become the boss MD on Instagram. There's underscores in there somewhere, but you can find that from the bosssurgery.com site. I'm also LinkedIn and Facebook under my name. So pretty easy stuff. It is beautiful. Thank you so much for coming here today and for sharing so much wisdom and inspiration. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tatiana. It's such an honor. I really appreciate the invite. I've just enjoyed watching your path and I'm so in admiration of all that you have done. It just takes so much guts and foresight and all these things to have a podcast, invite people on and you're being yourself. And that's exactly what I hope for all of us to do is just define our strengths and not let ourselves get in our way and really achieve these high things that you've already done. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed it or found it helpful, please subscribe leave a five-star review and share it with a friend. Have any topics you'd like covered? Send me an email at joyfulsuccessliving at gmail.com. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram to connect at joyfulsuccessliving. Have an amazing week. See you next time. The Voices of Women Physicians podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not provide any medical, financial, tax, legal, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own well-being, decisions, and results. Dr. Resnik is a practicing physician, but Voices of Women Physicians podcast is not reflective of the opinion of her employer. You should always contact professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.